Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. Now here's Pastor Roger Mace with his message, Taught by the Spirit. Let me say it is not easy to be the Holy Spirit. I'm sure most of us would have some hesitation about occupying certain seats of authority in this world. For what the president of our country has gone through in the last little while, and perhaps even the congressmen who assist him, in coming to some kind of terms, that's not an easy spot to be in. Um, I think it's more than gray hair that happens to a person when they have a lot of pressure on them. I certainly wouldn't want to, want to, would, would not want to be in the spot of the Syrian president. That's not an enviable position. Or for those who are leading out in this world, because you become the target of lots of hate and assault by people, attempted assault. But it's not easy being the Holy Spirit, I think, in an even greater way. We look at 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, if you will open your Bibles there. Let's look once again at verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. What this verse says, that the Holy Spirit is resisted because the natural man cannot even receive the things of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is ridiculed because whatever the Holy Spirit is doing or saying is foolishness to them. And thirdly, if the message is heard, and if you got past the first two, whatever the Holy Spirit has to say is not even understood. And he cannot, dis- he cannot understand them because they are spiritually concerned. Today we begin part three of our series on the triune God, the Father and the Son, we have given attention to. And today we begin our third part of this series on the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I believe the least knowledgeable of any of these three is perhaps the Holy Spirit. So we want to look at the Holy Spirit today and answer this question, or at least begin to answer this question. Uh, We will get started on on that, and Pastor Quintana will pick up the pieces that fall from what we get into today. If you were called upon to introduce the Holy Spirit to someone, what would you say? How would you introduce them? 
You would have to have a fair degree of knowledge of the Holy Spirit to be able to introduce the Holy Spirit to someone. We think we would know what we would say about introducing Jesus to someone, but how about the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead? If we did not know the name of a person, and I guess all of us at times have been in this position, us older folks, we are probably in this position more than any others. We know the person, we know pretty much about, but we can't remember their name. So it's an awkward moment. And so we try to introduce the person to someone, and it's very difficult if you don't at least know their name. And then if you do know their name, then what else do you know about them? Well, how about putting the Holy Spirit uh, as someone you really want to introduce to someone? How would you come about doing that? Uh, Today, I want to introduce Jeffrey to our congregation. He is sitting over here, as he has been for a number of weeks throughout this series, And uh, he is one of those uh, guests that has been visiting us. He's not presently a member of this church. I say presently. Uh, But he is one that sits on the edge of his seat and takes in every word. Pastor Quintana has noticed, and I have noticed. And there are a few of you that sit on the end of your seats, and you're focused in. Believe me, pastors can tell whether or not you are tuned in to what is being said. We have a pretty good bird's eye view of the congregation. And so when the pastor looks out on the congregation and he sees someone getting kind of sleepy-eyed or their eyes glaze over, all he has to do is just look at you and you're wide awake. And or perhaps even walk down the aisle. Uh, That's one that my wife fears the most, uh, to walk down the aisle and because you've got everyone's attention at that point. And they are wondering, what kind of hard question am I going to get asked? Well, we try not to make a worship service stressful, so we won't do that today, at least not right now. Um, But Jeffrey asked a question a number of weeks ago after this series was begun. Uh, Jeffrey is a student of the scriptures. He knows the scriptures. And you will know this by the question he asked. He asked, I have heard it spoken that the Holy Spirit is in the feminine gender rather than the masculine. Is that so? Of course, Jeffrey, I, as you know, I turned to John 16, and I read some of that, that to you, and it speaks of the Holy Spirit in a masculine gender. And I said, uh, I think this needs some more study on my part. So I've been for several weeks studying this question and looking at Lots of things, uh, looking at the Aramaic, looking at the Hebrew, looking at the Greek. And uh, so today's sermon primarily is to answer your question. Now, when have you had a sermon preached that was specific to the question you asked? 
I, I don't think I've ever had that. But today you're the star of this worship service and that you have asked a really important and somewhat tough question. Now, it requires us to uh, feed on the bromus, that is the, the solid food of the scriptures, rather than the milk of the word. And so I'm hoping that I won't have to walk down the pews because you are writing down things, you are looking, you are, you are staying with me because that's so important. If you do miss something, we do have an archive. Uh, you can pick the sermons up on our website and uh, review this. And I know that for some of you, you have run into this particular question that we're going to be addressing today. Now, in Genesis 1.26, I think we've already uh, looked at that. Uh, In verse 26 of Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image. The word man there is the word Adam. Adam means ruddy complexion, But Adam is more than just a person with uh, a red uh, hue to him. Uh, Adam also is standing for humankind. So when we see Adam in Scripture, it is speaking often about the humankind. Except when it does specifically says, Wherefore by one man, Romans 5, 12, sin entered into the world... And so death passed upon all men through Adam. Well, was it just Adam? It was Adam and Eve. So Adam does stand for humankind. Our first created beings, and they were created male and female. So let us make Adam in our image according to our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. Well, that is the key text that launches into our particular study for today. And we know that God, through the Holy Spirit, was present at creation. The Spirit moved upon the waters. We know that the Spirit also moved upon the prophets, Second. Peter 1.21, the Spirit moved upon the prophets and they spoke. (coughs) Excuse me. So one of the definitions of Spirit, of course, is wind uh, and comes from the word in Hebrew, ruach, R-U-A-C-H, ruach. And that is in the feminine gender. So hence we, Jeffrey was right, Uh, he has heard, and it is truthful, that Ruach, the Holy Spirit, in the Hebrew, is in the feminine gender. And the Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke, is Ruaka, and that also is in the feminine gender. Now Jesus, when he was teaching of the 
the Spirit would have spoken that particular word if he were using Hebrew. Now, what is interesting is that in Hebrew, there is a masculine, there is a feminine, but there is no neuter gender in the language. But there is in the Greek language. So in the New Testament, the word for spirit is pneuma, and that's where we get our word pneumonia from. A pneuma hagios, Holy Spirit, are the words that are often used in the New Testament, but in the neuter gender. So when this common word for spirit is used in the New Testament, it's often translated in the masculine gender. If you look at Romans 8, verse 16, Just a couple of pages back, uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It says the Spirit, pneuma, then it says himself. Well, the word for himself is actually in the neuter tense, but the translators of the Bible believe that it was more appropriate to move that to the masculine and say himself, because Jesus, or the Spirit, is not an it, but is a person of the Godhead. And also in uh, verse uh, 26, likewise, the word would be itself, but is translated himself. Now, from that, do we conclude that there is a father, a son, and the Holy Spirit are the Father, the Son, and a Mother. Well, someone who is doing a superficial perusal of Scripture would perhaps conclude that. That maybe there is Father, a Son, and a Mother. From reading these particular verses and knowing that there was the feminine form, and then there's the masculine form, and there's the neuter. There is much evidence that this belief is, according to the teachings of counterfeit or mystic religions, uh, for instance, the Roman Catholic Church prays to Mother Mary. In the Islamic religion, it is Fatima. Years, a few years ago, in fact, in 1981, there appeared uh, an article in some journals and newspapers. U.S. woman sees Holy Spirit as a female figure. This woman was Louis Roden, whose husband in 1955 established or gathered together a group called the Shepherd's Rod. I remember a number of years ago that I pastored a church where earlier in the life of that church, the men of that little church went to Texas 
And they left their wives and children at home to fend for themselves because they felt called to go to Texas and join the Shepherd's Rod movement. Well, the Shepherd's Rod movement fell into some confusion, and so a lot of these men did return when I was pastor of that particular church. My wife's father used to have long discussions back in those days with a devotee of the Shepherd's Rod movement. And Louis Roden, his wife, survived him, and the Shepherd's Rod moved into the Branch Davidian Seventh-day Adventist. So now she is speaking as a Branch Davidian, and she says, when she prays, she prays, Our Mother who art in heaven. Now we know that the Branch Davidians have literally gone up in smoke, and of course, if there are a few devotees left, uh, they, they, she even had some uh, difficulty communicating that very radical thought in her own particular religious group. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a lady who went camping in Virginia, one of our state parks. And they had been going there every year and having this particular campsite, and they did this two weeks, two weekends ago. Uh, she has a baby, her husband, and they had a nine-year-old boy and a seven-year-old boy. And she noticed after a while that these people all seemed to be connected, and uh, she got acquainted with a couple of the ladies, and they invited her to a potluck. It's always nice to be invited to a potluck, isn't it? Well, uh, perhaps not this one. Uh, she, uh, uh, so she asked them, uh, what is this? Is this a church group? Are you Christians? And the answer that came back, no, we are pagans. And so she did not know really what a pagan was or what pagans do or believe. So she and her family watched in amazement for several hours this unfolding of a pagan service. And uh, when she later found out that she was witnessing satanic worship, uh, it caused her to have a few goose pimples, as you can imagine. Back in the days when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, uh, the second chapter, there were the mystic religions. Uh, there was in the temples the, uh, the goddesses that practiced uh, prostitution as part of their religion. And there was this idea that there is a goddess and to complement the gods who need to have a wife. And so there is today a resurgence of this particular one. And yes, we know that the fourth commandment, the devil is trying to discourage uh, people from paying attention to and taking seriously. But the first and second commandment, particularly the devil, is really trying to stumble people 
with a kind of theology that worships uh, Satan through these kinds of theological uh, beliefs. Now, when our Lord, our Creator, uh, made this world, he made male and female. Our Lord, God, that is the Trinity, all good things come from above. And from God, he was able to make male and female. That came from God. And we know that one of the particular things about the Holy Spirit, if you read John 14 to 16, is that the Holy Spirit comforts. That's one of the words. All of these words I'm going to use are from those uh, three chapters. The Holy Spirit comforts. The Holy Spirit instructs. The Holy Spirit leads. The Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit helps, convicts, speaks, hears, and helps us remember. All of that comes from the book of John. If you think uh, about what kind of gender best able, is able to, to carry out these descriptions, it would be the feminine gender. All of these descriptions of the Holy Spirit are pretty much feminine. Now, all of us have the capacity of, of possessing qualities of both the masculine and the feminine. For example, when I preach a thus saith the Lord sermon, I am using my masculinity. For instance, Joshua twenty four fifteen would be uh, would be an example. Listen up, congregation. Choose this day who you will serve. That is masculine. That's not feminine. But when I talk with people in my office and they're wanting to share something on their hearts and I listen, I listen very carefully, very comfortingly, then that is using my feminine uh, capability. All of us have that to a degree or another. In other words, the person who says, I'm macho, I'm 100% man or male, uh, that person is going to have a little bit more difficult in relationships because it's not going to know how to relate to the opposite gender. And uh, we do find examples of the full spectrum in this world. Now, It is a big step to conclude that the Holy Spirit is female. The gender of the word and the sex of the one you're referring to are not the same thing. All languages have uh, the genders, male, female, and as I said, Hebrew only has those two. Greek has all three. Male, female, neuter. Uh, Spanish language, muchacho, that's man, uh, ma uh, male, uh, uh, masculine, and the feminine gender is muchacha, 
there is a difference in the spelling to let you know which is male and which, which is masculine and which is feminine. Now, the word stone in Hebrew is feminine. Now, that doesn't mean that rocks in Israel are female. You see, it is easy to take the language and make a big jump to conclude something that is not true. Ruach is not always feminine in gender in the Hebrew Bible. For example, and you can look this up, Numbers 11.31, it is masculine. Ruach is masculine there. And in Isaiah 57.16, that one likewise is masculine. In other words, the gender of the word ruach seems to shift, by which it takes either a masculine or a feminine verb, even though the Hebrew does not have a neuter gender like the Greek does. And so if you want to communicate that the Godhead or the Trinity uh, are persons, you would not be inclined to think of the Godhead in the neuter gender we would have a little bit more difficult time convincing people of the personhood of God. Now, if you were to do a thorough search of scriptures on the Godhead, you would not have conclusive evidence that the Holy Spirit is female any more that God the Father is totally male. Now, really think about what I just said. Nowhere in Scripture do we find instruction or an example of Jesus praying to his mother. He said, Our Father, which art in heaven. He taught his disciples to pray that prayer. Now, God is not limited to our anthropomorphisms. Which means our tendency to project our human characteristics onto God. Now, there are some plumbers in the congregation. I think we have quite a number of them. Uh, We know that when they fit pipes, uh, the pipe, we would say that's an inanimate object. That would be a neuter, right? But when you go to the counter... You don't have to tell the person at the desk, I want one that goes this way or that way. You just say, I want a female fitting, I want a male fitting. Now, for you plumbers, next time you do that, you will be doing what is called an anthropomorphic act. You are attributing human characteristics onto an inanimate object. What we tend to do is take our human way of thinking and being and we project that onto God. We are creating what is called an anthropomorphism. Now, J.B. Phillips wrote a very classic book a number of years ago entitled, Your God is Too Small. And in that particular book, he is describing what we as human beings tend to do 
with God. We want to draw up this conclusion that God is like a particular way. And it is usually like what we see, what we feel, what we believe to be the most logical. We have to remember that we are created in a time zone. We have a beginning and we have an end. We're on a life continuum. But God is not limited to our time zone. God is not limited to how we are made. Yes, we are created in the image of God, but there is not a defining principle that says that means exactly this or that. Now, God may be able to create us male and female, but the reverse we cannot do. We cannot take our male and female and project that back on to God. That puts us in charge of describing who God is. Now, from the language of the scriptures, Jeffrey, from Hebrew and from Aramaic and from Greek language, which is the language of the scriptures, we cannot conclude that the Holy Spirit is female because that would work totally against who God is. Now, we can know some things about the Holy Spirit, but we cannot make God like us. That remains a mystery. Now, we know that that, uh, Jesus forever identifies himself both as a full human being and as fully God, That itself is a mystery. We cannot figure that out. It is beyond our ability to understand how you could be fully one way and fully another way. We know that Jesus has identified himself as a human being, but the Father and the Holy Spirit have not. And so when we try to make the Holy Spirit into a female, then we then are creating this anthropomorphism. We are projecting our thoughts upon the Holy Spirit. The scripture says here, the Holy Spirit is God. Now, if we look at the passages in this scripture lesson uh, that was read today from the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, the very first verse, actually verse 4, and my speech and my preaching, this is the Apostle Paul, said, were, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. That word for power is dunamis, from a word dynamite comes from. Dunamis is, uh, or power, I think we would have to attribute that to the masculine side, would we not? So the Holy Spirit is powerful and not what we would call just feminine. The Holy Spirit cannot be confined 
to our limited way of conception who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit can be a wind, and it can be a strong wind. The Holy Spirit can be a fire, a blazing fire. The Holy Spirit can be a tongue of fire. The Holy Spirit can speak. The Holy Spirit can listen and to hear. The Holy Spirit bounces back and forth between the masculine and the feminine. But that does not make the Holy Spirit female just because the Holy Spirit is in the feminine gender. Or the masculine gender, for that matter. We try to do these kinds of gymnastics because... We want to know. We want to find out answers. So we develop this little wisdom around ourselves and we come up with, like Lewis Roden, oh, let's pray to the Holy Spirit as a female, our mother which art in heaven. Nothing could be further from the truth of the word of God. So the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. That's when people say the Holy Spirit is more like an it than a person. We look at verse 9 and 10. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it by his Spirit. That revelation, that speaking is something the Holy Spirit can do. The Holy Spirit also searches all things. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro upon the earth. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Verse 10. Now we're so used to thinking of the Holy Spirit as very shallow. I remember I went to a Pentecostal tent meeting uh, when I was a young pastor, I just wanted to get a little experience with that. And uh, so I sat on the back row, and the lady in the front row was sitting alone. And at one point during the service, she jumps up, and she claps her hand, and she dances around. She knocked a whole row of chairs over. Uh, now, was she filled with the Holy Spirit? I guess everyone in that tent except me felt like maybe she had received the Holy Spirit. But what happened? She was filled with emotionality and it took over her physical being. And uh, there was no deep thoughts coming from her mouth. It was only praise the Lord. It was only like three words she could utter. And yes, it's nice to be uh, able to be emotional and to respond to God's invitation, but that doesn't mean that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. The deep things of God, the Holy Spirit is the one that is able to communicate that. He knows the thoughts of God in the same way, verse 11, nobody knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He teaches us what God has freely given us. Verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. 
In the Old Testament, uh, the word wisdom is often associated with the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you read the book of Proverbs, you will find in the wisdom literature there that the Holy Spirit uh, is using some of the same language we find in the New Testament describing the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, But Paul makes the distinction. He says, now, uh, I didn't come with human wisdom. I'm not a lecturer. I'm not coming to you with some of my own way of thinking. But I'm coming to you with the power and the ability of the Spirit of God to teach us so that we may mature, we may grow up. Now, the Holy Spirit empowers us to share our testimony. That is the summary of the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 2. Paul is talking about his work as God's apostle, that he cannot come, cannot preach on terms of his own wisdom and thoughts, but he is operating under the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And verses 6 to 16, the majority of the verses are dealing with spiritual maturity. Uh, The wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, we cannot depend on humanity to save us from our despair. And verse 13, not in words taught us by human wisdom. Verse 10, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So we have to be educated to be a Christian, for instance, or to be a mature Christian in particular. We need the Holy Spirit to be the one to help us with that education. In conclusion, the Holy Spirit empowers us to share our faith and helps us to grow in spiritual maturity. And the most important work of the Holy Spirit, that it brings us to the opportunity of achieving salvation. Jeffrey, I hope that this answers your question. Uh, Any of you that would have questions that you'd like for your pastors to present, in a sermon, be our guest. We would be happy to do the study required uh, to do that. And I hope that this will be a good backdrop when Pastor Quintana continues next week in his work, uh, in his sermon on the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonderful provision you have made <clears throat> to give us the triune God to give us the Holy Spirit in particular today because we know that if we are to achieve maturity, we need the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Help us when we read the scripture to be able to spiritually discern. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to be able to do that, but we also need the Holy Spirit to teach us what we need to know. I pray, Lord, that you will guide each one here that as we continue the study of your holy word, that we will avoid the pitfalls of coming to irrational 
and unbiblical conclusions and that we will find the pathway that you would have us walk in. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at frederick.sdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click the sermon audio link. 